one of the actual features that uh, that would have stopped us from actual deployment was how to put traffic cones uh, or traffic triangles when the when the vehicle pulls over on the side of the road Welcome to another exciting episode of Mind Gravity podcast. I'm your host Rohan Honda. Today, we have a really special guest with us, Karthik Tiwari. Karthik has a background in robotics from Carnegie Mellon University. He was the CTO and co-founder of Starsky Robotics, a driverless truck startup that aimed to make roads safer and allow truck drivers to work closer to home. Starsky began moving freight on the highway in early 2017 and one year later became the first company to take the safety driver out of a truck when it drove fully unmanned for 7 miles on a closed road in Florida. That just blows my mind. In June 2019, Starsky did the first ever fully unmanned test on a public highway with live traffic. Unfortunately, it was shut down in early 2020 after raising over 20 million in venture capital from the likes of Shasta Ventures and Unshackle Ventures. On this show, let's learn more about Kartik's journey into the startup world and what are some of the lessons he learned starting a business in the autonomous vehicle industry. Let's go. Welcome to the Mind Gravity podcast, Kartik. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, no, excited to have you on the podcast and you have an amazing journey, you know, from India all the way up here in the states starting your own startup within the autonomous vehicle space. But before we dive deep into it, would love to learn a bit more about your history, your background, uh your 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 story, how you grew up and what made you come to the US and start on the startup journey. Yeah, sure. I grew up in India as you as you mentioned. I uh, did my undergrad there and then spent about two and a half years working for a um, for an automotive company, Suzuki Motors, uh, which in India is called Maruti Suzuki, and uh, and then uh, came to the US for uh, my masters in in robotics. It was pretty fun to start off with when I when I started working uh, at Suzuki, uh, but pretty soon I realized that uh, my my learning uh, the exposure to new things were stagnating to a, to a point that it became unbearable for me which was a pretty big indication that that was not the the career the life that I would be happy with uh, so I took a leap of faith came here for um, for a masters and in general robotics has been pretty interesting and fun to me especially the 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 merging of the physical and the software aspect um so that had a direct connection with me Got from it. the very beginning yeah and you went to carnegie mellon yeah i did my masters in carnegie mellon uh, in pittsburgh uh, in uh, in robotics uh, which is a great school it was uh, uh, really fun to see just get exposure to all the stuff that that is happening uh, both in uh, in research cutting edge research as well as a lot of practical uh, industrial solutions that they were working on got it so i was going to yeah. say yes carnegie is known for its robotics program and you know you yeah. have a lot of cutting edge um, um technologies and mm-hmm. uh, individuals coming out of it uber also had their uh, pittsburgh plan and they recruited pretty much the entire department of carnegie mellon if i remember correctly back in the day when they were working on the atg technology yeah um, so so did that give you a lot of exposure to the uh, industry itself while you were still a student 
Uh, yeah, actually, that, I, I think the uh, one of the great things about uh, not just the program uh, that I was in, but also just the general environment um, uh, of CMU and especially the Robotics Institute was uh, uh, around building businesses in robotics. Generally, a lot of uh, there was this gold rush to build the next best software company. But uh, all the needs for consumers are not just software. They're also hardware-based needs. So there is a genuine demand there, but, uh, but there, there is no perfect solution to build hardware uh, startups. So uh, CME actually took, took a really uh, big leap of faith in building this course where uh, you, can, you go through a very, very structured program of uh, knowing what, what exactly are the ins and outs of uh, building a startup, what, what are special and unique cases for a hardware startup, and then, um, uh, and then you also get to, uh, at least I got to see some of the projects that were going on um, that, that had uh, direct funding from uh, either the government or the DOT or, or also from industry. Uh, so you could see the direct parallels between what was going on in uh, the research phase and then what was going on in uh, what were the differences when you actually start to build a product to serve some customer's need. So interesting journey. So you grew up in India, did uh, study there, and you know you did not find what you were looking for in your first job. Did your master's mm-hmm. at CMU. So what was next for you? What did you have in mind? Uh, was um, starting a startup always on your mind, or did you want to go work for a larger company to gain more experience? Uh, because that's always a big question, especially for immigrants coming from you know different countries. Is um, what are some of the challenges that exist with it or that has always been on your mind that you know, I have to start something on my own? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Starting a company was, was uh, I don't think was ever on my mind. Uh, well, actually not consciously was on my mind. Uh, there were, uh, there were things that I did not like uh, about big bureaucratic organizations. And uh, uh, if I, if I, in retrospect, if I, if I look at uh, what my thought process was, building a startup was the, was the natural solution to, to all my uh, constraints, at least the mental constraints that I had. Uh, it would have been difficult for me to, uh, to go into another uh, com- big organization and then uh, be another cog in the wheel. Uh, but it never was a conscious thought that I had. Even now, I would not think of building or working for a startup just for just for the sake of working and building a startup. It is more uh, a, a tool towards an end. Um, it's a mean towards an end, which essentially means that if if I'm really passionate about something and and uh, and the the best way to get to that is is to actually do it by myself. Uh, that's when I would do it. And, and I think unconsciously that was my thought process. Uh, back then, uh, there was also a, a slight experimental nature to jumping onto a startup. Uh, back back then, when I first uh, worked on my first startup, uh, and that was it was the right time for me to take that level of risk. Um, I could I would not be be uh, I would not be able to do uh, anything like that uh, for the first time uh, now. Uh, it was the right thing to do at that at that time. So so that's why uh, that's that's also why I took uh, the leap of faith. That that is fascinating. So the experimental nature and just trying to build something that you can call your own was mm-hmm. sort of calling for you. So yes. 
So moving further along that journey that you just described, um, what was the genesis of that your first startup, Starscape? Well, yeah, the Starscape was not my first startup. It was Updroid, uh, but Updroid uh, uh, was was the more experimental thing for me, uh, career-wise. Uh, Starsky essentially was uh, when I got some learnings out of building a company and realized what exactly should be there, what are the checkboxes that need to be checked off um, before I, I would actually be excited about something. Uh, and it is actually practical to, to jump onto it. Uh, but Starsky, the, the actual genesis, which, which came about when uh, my co-founder, Stefan, who was the CEO, uh, actually just gave me a cold call and, uh, and reached out to me and uh, described me the problem of uh, long-haul trucking in the U.S. Uh, or, or to be more general um, in, in the continental U.S. And uh, uh, the, the, the main things that, uh, that just struck me right away were that there is a, a really, really big problem uh, that needs to be solved. Uh, and you don't actually need to take a huge leap of faith in terms of uh, uh, the technolo technological risk uh, for building this. Um, and the, the last one was, uh, which was actually a, a really good thing, a good problem to have, uh, was that no one else was looking into this. So that just was the trifecta of uh, uh, right things uh, happening at the right time uh, to jump into this uh, and then we, we essentially started building this right away as, as soon as I did a little bit of diligence just to see uh, if things check, check check off and then and then it was you know sparks right away got it um so let's let's rewind uh, slightly so you said this was not your first startup you had yeah, this a startup prior to that so what was the absolute problem that you were trying to solve with your first startup and what were the learnings there that you thought you wanted to apply to Starspeak? Uh, of course, yeah. So the, my, my first startup was, I mean, the idea actually started when a friend of mine from, again, from CMU, uh, we started, uh, we, we had a lot of courses together. Uh, so we used to just chat in general about uh, our projects, uh, uh, the, the problems that we were having, our grades and all that. Uh, but uh, uh, one of the things that uh, struck both of us uh, and, and obviously was guided by the whole uh, structure of our, of our program was to just look at the problems that we see in, in our day-to-day -day life. Um, and one of the cl closest to our heart problem was uh, the problem that we were having uh, just running code and, and building, uh, building new cutting-edge software uh, on a robotics platform. Uh, it was uh, the way we uh, started uh, conceptualizing the whole problem was that it's uh, uh, for any new algorithm, any new computer vision algorithm, speech recognition algorithm, all of those things, you end up building, uh, spending 80% of your time just to repeat the same thing that has been done over and over again, um, building the hardware, building the baseline um, uh, software for to, to just run the uh, a normal set of functions. So we wanted to take that problem out so that anyone else working on an application could uh, could just work on that application and not worry about everything else, anything else. Uh, so uh, the and and the analogy for this is uh, your computers, your your phone as it exists today. And you don't when you when you have to write uh, build a spreadsheet, uh, you don't actually have to work on the OS. You don't have to work on the on the hardware on the motherboard. Uh, you don't even have to work on the spreadsheet app itself. You just have to work on the spreadsheet. 
uh, or you have to just input those numbers. Uh, so you you have that platform ready for you, and then you just uh, build on top of it. Um, so our our uh, idea was that, but for robotics, uh, and and it was it was an immediate problem for us because we, as part of our uh, project work, we had to we had to actually build some useful applications uh, that we could build a business around and present it as our final presentation. But a, a huge chunk of that of money, time, and effort went in just figuring out the the baseline stuff. Um, so uh, so that was the genesis of the idea, uh, and then we. And then we took took, uh, took it forward. Got it, got it. And then came Starsky, which is... and then came Starsky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And of course, like uh, some of those things, just to answer, like the other half of your question about like the lessons that I learned. Th- there is always a fine balance between figuring out what um, uh, or, or trying to solve or build a company to solve a problem that you have uh, versus the problem being too much of a niche that it doesn't actually become a product at all and and that's the that that was one of the things i learned every big company and and uh, organization that exists today be it microsoft be it facebook apple a lot of those most of those um, ideas actually started as uh, problems that the founders were trying to solve for themselves and then uh, a chord struck between them and the eventual consumers and then they uh, they they've worked around those constraints and then actually build a build a company around it. Um, but uh, there's also there's also the other flip flip side of the coin where uh, my problems could be too unique to myself or it might be too niche that uh, that it uh, there isn't actually a huge huge market for it. So so that was that was one of the things. The the other aspect was and and maybe this one this one was the big biggest learning uh, was uh, uh, as technologists as uh, engineers we tend to work a lot um, on and we tend to get excited about technology and working on new things there always need to be this self-realization loop that needs to run in your head you should always have fun working on on the products that you're working on but uh, you shouldn't just be doing it because something is fun. Uh, it it should be directed towards some value creation uh, for your end customer uh, or end consumer. So that was that that is also a, a really big and scary thing for hardcore engineers to accept. It was definitely difficult for me to say that you know I I like working on this, but I I just cannot work on this because. Unfortunately, it doesn't have any value. <laughs> uh, this might be a, j- just good for a hobby, uh, but this is not something that I can uh, justify uh, of building a full company around. Yeah, no, I think you touched on some interesting points and those I've noticed as being the uh, common themes across the board when I talk to uh, entrepreneurs or people who are trying to launch a new product. At the closer the problem is to their heart, the more enjoyment they find in actually solving it and they're more um, easy to strike a chord with their end consumers as you put it uh, absolutely right yeah and, and it should yeah yeah it should be yeah it should be a, 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 a solution to a problem not a problem uh, uh, not a solution looking for a problem correct um, absolutely yeah. right. so you evolved you had some learnings along the way and you know learnings from a first startup nobody's nobody's expecting a home run from the first startup but it's always <laughs> like a learning process right mm-hmm. so then you moved on a cold call led to starsky robotics 
um, and Starsky, if I have uh, researched correctly, was trying to solve autonomous vehicle problem within the uh, trucking industry or trying to yeah. try to take trucking industry to the future using autonomous mm -hmm. vehicles. Um, I mean, and the largest cost associated with that is the truckers themselves, which is about 43% or, or roughly around that number uh, within mm -hmm. the trucking. And now you have a massive shortage of truckers too, right? Mm -hmm. For a variety of personal and uh, environmental reasons. So what was Starsky trying to solve here? Because you obviously had a unique approach. Uh, take me deep into the weeds. Yeah, actually, so, so just to um, uh, sort of course correct one of the, a few things that you said, uh, Starsky actually was uh, uh, the, the main value value proposition uh, was not um, the labor cost uh, for associated with drivers uh, and and that's something that uh, was actually the 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 secret sauce we could justify uh, working on uh, on this massive zero to one improvement in um, uh, in efficiency and utilization and, and and even working on this massive technology because uh, the, we were not in direct competition with manual labor. Any, uh, and, and this is this is one of the things, uh, like just for the space in general, and not, not just uh, uh, AV space, but automation in general, the, the value of autonomy is never uh, just cost. Uh, it, it, because if it is just direct cost comparison between uh, human labor versus uh, versus something automated, uh, human labor, like counterintuitively, will always win. Uh, the the actual value are more things like utilization, things like repeatability, things like quality assurance, and all of those things. Uh, if uh, if you can, you you're getting the same quality, repeatability, and everything for from a human labor. You absolutely will need to to have uh, manual labor working on that, uh, working on that particular problem. Um, I can go into like more detail about that, but that was the the, the main uh, value proposition. It was it was to to um, uh, to help with the shortage of drivers and not to remove drivers uh, to to an extent that whole use case for our particular driverless solution was that there it needs to be a human supervisor uh, supervising uh, a driverless truck going from falling freight to point A to point B, and. Uh, even if there is one person supervising one truck, uh, which technically should amount to the same labor cost, uh, maybe even a slightly higher labor cost because you will have uh, slightly more trained drivers, we would still have a massive, massive cost advantage uh, because uh, the effort that uh, takes uh, uh, trucking companies to hire, recruit and retain uh, truck drivers is massive. So, so that, was the, that was the main value provision. And then over time, we would have introduced more um, uh, autonomous capabilities where one driver would supervise multiple trucks um, and, and they, that would increase their productivity as well. Uh, but that was the, the, the main value proposition and, and that was the main uh, solution that we were trying to solve uh, or so the, the main problem that we were trying to solve. Got it. Okay. So yeah. it was not about removing the driver from the pilot seat itself, but augmenting the capabilities of the driver with autonomous vehicle uh, yeah. or maybe technologies, right? Yeah. And which is starkly different from what a lot of other uh, freight or trucking uh, autonomous vehicle uh, startups are doing, which are trying to use uh, LiDAR to kind of make everything autonomous where they can have platooning and trucks follow each other along the highway mm -hmm. and there's last mile solution and so forth. And you obviously raised close to $20 million in, in, in your series A 
Um, so when it came to investors and when they were looking at a broader landscape uh, and comparing it to others, where do you mm -hmm. think there was a disconnect given that Starsky had to shut its operation down early this year? Mm -hmm. uh, where yeah. was the disconnect happening? The unfortunate thing about shutting down uh, Starsky was that there was just one particular uh, area where there was a disconnect. There is still a little bit of debate like internally between the you know, ex-team members, uh, whether things could have been actually uh, uh, changed or not, whether uh, whether this was the like the, this was eventually going to happen or not. Uh, but the main disconnect was around um, around just positioning of what exactly the business uh, needs to be doing, uh, what exactly is the value proposition, and how close you should actually be to that value proposition. Uh, as I, as I mentioned, the main work that we were we, we were doing was around. Uh, building this drive driverless technology there were supporting functions of the company uh, and the supporting function was actually the of the actual operations uh, that was happening because this was an experimental piece of technology we needed to have a little more control over who was the safety driver who who were the customers we were talking to and hauling freight for uh, but uh, over time, the understanding could easily have been that as technology matures, we could have actually offloaded the actual operations of, of a trucking company over to people who are good at it, which is the trucking, which are the existing trucking companies. And then we would have just provided them a driverless truck uh, instead, of, uh, instead of us doing, uh, providing them a service of hauling freight. That was the biggest disconnect between, uh, between Starsky and investors. Uh, we initially, and, and in, in my opinion, wrongly thought that we should have uh, this vertically integrated uh, stack of op uh, not only just building the technology, but also operating the trucks as, as well, even in the far future. And investors did not like it because it was, uh, it, it's an asset heavy category. It, it would be hard to grow. Uh, and uh, to a certain extent, we would be deviating a little too much away from our our core value proposition, which was which was driverless technology, not not trucking, not doing the day to day trucking work, and and that was the biggest dis disconnect. Got it. So so yeah, you're obviously being pulled in two different directions, whether to focus more on the technology or the core problem that's being tr trying to solve around the trucking industry as a whole. Uh, but while you were battling with the two issues, did you see there being challenges along the way that perhaps autonomous uh, vehicle technology is not there yet? Uh, was that one of the factors that played into taking the course that, that you were on? Definitely. It was not something that we struggled with too much, specifically because the route that we took, it just uh, fortunately made us avoid all these hurdles. The genesis of that route was uh, having a problem in our, in our hand uh, and then trying to solve that problem instead of having a solution and working towards a solution and then figuring out what the problem was. You're, you're absolutely correct. Autonomy or self-driving cars uh, is pretty popular in, in, you know, in imagination in uh, uh, the advertisements that we see, in the press releases that we see. Uh, that is nowhere close to where anyone thought uh, like things should be but there is technology uh, that exists today that can actually be used to take the person out of the vehicle if the value proposition again if the business value that uh, that you have is met by just taking the person out of the cab 
then it is it is there. If we had not unfortunately shut down, uh, Starsky would have started uh, commercial service uh, by the end of this year. Uh, and we had all the technology pieces already figured out. It was mostly around ramping up production for our uh, for our drugs. Uh, we already had done it once um, uh, on a highway, on a public highway, uh, and we uh, were just going to repeat it in the next one. Interesting. So apart from technology, apart from the business model, um, mm-hmm. I think there's one other element that comes into play, which is more, more around the lines of policymakers and regulations. How big of a role do you think that the that they play for someone looking outside in uh, who understands yeah. technology is great, but why is it not out yet, right? Yeah. Yeah, the policymakers actually are uh, a huge part. Uh, and whether you, I mean, whether someone likes them or not, they are, they are going to be uh, uh, stakeholders in this. So we actually uh, had great relation, relationship with policymakers. Uh, because we had a very uh, focused viewpoint of what exactly needs to be our product. We even focused on which particular states, which particular routes are the best suited for our initial deployments. So, so we started uh, preemptively talking to the, the state and the local and the federal uh, policymakers, uh, being just proactive in, uh, in giving them our inputs and then um, and then also accommodating their inputs as well. This got, got us into a lot of, uh, like on one hand, this got us into a lot of uh, complexity uh, in terms of our policymaking, but uh, our government affairs, but th- that also helped us a lot. That uh, made us gain a lot of points um, in, in favor of getting us some, uh, some sort of audience with, uh, with the people who are directly affecting the law. Like we had to talk to Teamsters, we had to talk to, uh, lawyers who you, you see all of these uh, trial lawyers. So we had audience, we all of, all of them, we got all of them on the same table, uh, talked to them uh, and get, got, got them on the same page and then unanimously uh, held shape bills and laws in, in multiple states. And the, the way we were implementing all uh, our, our solution also was something that they believed in as well. They, everyone believes and also things that uh, uh, that autonomy and self-driving is the future, not only for safety, but also just for um, better quality of job. But the, the, the vision that everyone else is, is portraying of no, you don't require anyone uh, uh, at all also doesn't fit well with them. So our vision of the future, which was to have a person in a, uh, in a, doing an office job, rather than being on the on the road uh, being away from their family also resonated with them so uh, as, and as, as a clear example of all these like government affairs wins that we had uh, when we actually took a person out somewhere last year on a public highway uh, we already had almost everyone in the chain all the way from federal regulators to state and and local policymakers and enforcers everyone knew what we were doing and everyone already had uh, their their press releases ready their spokespeople knew um, uh, what to, what to say and uh, they had given us a go ahead to do what 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 we wanted to do so it was not we were we were not pulling a fast one on anyone it was all being very transparent and that is something that they actually appreciate a lot they want to see working uh, the, this work on the future what they don't like is being surprised Right. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. 
because things are moving at such warp speeds, you want to make sure all your moving pieces are still in sync and yeah. buy-in from the policymakers or the lawmakers is, is critical to uh, move the industry as a whole yeah. as well. So, yeah. you know, it's interesting. So while these are some of the external factors that play uh, towards the course of innovation in any given vertical, there are certain internal factors as well. And one of those is organizational, right? Mm -hmm. the team, uh, team dynamics. And one example that comes to mind is about Captain Magic, which was like a early 90s uh, startup. It was kind of ground zero for all your iPhones and everything else. They were these mavericks and technologists who came together, banded together. But what they really didn't have was a, a viable product that they can put out there because they all wanted to be in this playground and experiment. And I see driverless a future or autonomous vehicle being comparable in, in that sense because you bring in so many mm -hmm. smarts uh, from across the globe working on some solution, but they all have uh, this, this, this idea of experimenting and continue to innovate and invent without necessarily having like a, uh, a, a direction, if you will, for the lack of better mm -hmm. term. What were some of the challenges, <clears throat> say, internally when it comes to managing uh, or building a technology that's so forward-looking uh, that it takes a lot out of the entire team and then sometimes it just leads to break it in itself? Yeah. Actually, to, to even reinforce uh, this a little more, um, uh, this is, by the way, this is a, a, a very genuine problem. Um, and and to, uh, to to my surprise, this is a genuine problem that a lot of uh, organization in this industry actually don't acknowledge fully, um, and and don't have good um, uh, good solutions to. Just to add to to this particular, uh, add a little more flavor to this particular problem. The the issue is that this is a multidisciplinary effort. Uh, th there are a lot of solutions and and problems that exist that might require um, you to us to develop an app. Uh, and and that that's about it, or a website, and that's about it. And and that has that whole process has matured over the last thirty or so years. When you have something like as complex as this, where where you have people from uh, traditional companies doing like hardcore controls engineering uh, to people who are working in deep learning, which is the biggest thing uh, that uh, that software en engineers are working on today. Uh, you have a wide and, and then on layer on top of that safety engineering, you have a wide swath of, uh, of people that to a certain extent don't exactly speak the same language and don't work at the same speed, uh, have, to, uh, have either experience in different sort of processes or, um, or don't have any experience in any, in any process, uh, process at all. Um, balancing all of that is, is a huge task and should never ever be underestimated. Uh, because that can uh, that can make or break the whole organization and and the whole company as, uh, as it stands. Having said that, actually to solve this problem, the solution actually is fairly straightforward and simple. It is it is it is hard to it is it is simple conceptually, but it, it's hard to implement. Uh, and the solution is uh, everyone uh, should know the vision of the company. If everyone knows the vision. Uh, and you're building an organization where there are no uh, single veto points. And even as, as a uh, head of technology, as a CTO, uh, I would try my best not to be the bottleneck um, for anything. Uh, and at any point, if I had to uh, even remotely make a veto decision, 
uh, or veto a decision, um, I, I, I would go out, out of my way to figure out why I had to do that and why other people couldn't do, do that with themselves. And all, almost always it was because there was some piece of information that was in my head and not spread across the organization. Um, so the, the simple conceptual solution is to have everyone on the same page, which, which is if everyone shares the same vision, uh, the perception engineers are going to do their best to achieve the vision, not just not to build the best perception, but to build the perception that, that is going to achieve the vision. Uh, the path planning, the, the hardware people, the controls people, all of them are going to do their best to achieve the vision, not, on, not just to build the best sub-module that they are working on. Uh, if I can you know, uh, sound a little more technical, uh, this avoids having local minimas across the system or across the organization um, and, and helps everyone work, work towards this global minima, which, which is where you want to be. Um, yeah, any organization in general is sort of like this uh, multi-agent or organism. Uh, and the reason it, it, is, uh, it is a good thing and a curse at the same time, you need multiple uh, brains to work on this problem. That's why you hire, you, you cannot do it yourself. Uh, if you could do that, that is the best way to do it. But, uh, the, but the, the only way it can actually work is that everyone, are, everyone uh, is, is working Towards the same, uh, towards the same goal. It's uh, it's the classic vector problem. You have thrust with smart people. You have huge thrust, uh, but if all of them are not aligned in the same direction, then almost everyone cancels uh, cancels out. Right. No, and I agree. Like just because you have gas emissions from a vehicle doesn't mean you stop inventing new cars and start pushing towards newer innovation like electric vehicles because mm -hmm. as you identify the problem, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you're not going to move forward. So I think yeah. we have to the right in terms of uh, an organizational structure matters a lot. So I think one thing uh, uh, along those lines, was that kind of built into your hiring strategy as well? Like when we were hiring people onto the organization, what was the key aspects uh, that you were looking for? Uh, this is not a, a completely new concept uh, that we invented, but uh, hiring for us, uh, not just uh, did not end with us uh, giving the offer letter and the candidate accepting it. It, it ended uh, over a period of time, which included onboarding at least for the for the, for the first six months. Um, you uh, there are a lot of objective things that can be uh, evaluated during a few hours uh, for for interview, um, but uh, a lot of effort needs to go into onboarding and evaluating the soft skills, the actual um, uh, fit uh, for that employee. Uh, so, so that was something that we, we were very, very careful for. One, one of the things that we uh, made sure that we were uh, looking for is uh, just problem solving skills. Uh, and, uh, and on top of that, uh, any, any project that our uh, prospective employees were, had worked on before, uh, if they actually, pushed that project over the finish line. Um, were they involved in that process as well? Because as we talked about even, even today, uh, there, there are a lot of ideas, there are a lot of uh, uh, new innovative technologies that can be worked on. But once you start to think about a product, then you have to start to think about a lot of nuanced things. Uh, and I can give you one example. 
which stands out the most for me. Uh, we, uh, uh, on, on one hand, we had to work on these crazy difficult perception problems and uh, from like traffic light detection to uh, drivable road detection to like uh, vision at, uh, at night and all of those things. Uh, but one of the things, one of the actual features that, uh, that would have stopped us from actual deployment was uh, how to put traffic cones uh, or traffic triangles uh, when, the, when the vehicle pulls over on the side of the road. That, that, is, that is not something that a uh, huge organization or really technology forward organization markets <laughs> and, and you think about that problem. But, but if you start to think about the product uh, and the actual service that you're going to provide, these are the steps that you have to go through. So anyone who has experience in pushing a, a, a piece of technology over the line and building a product out of it knows you have to look at these things. Uh, there are just some mindset change. Uh, uh, you have to get into a different mindset to start uh, start even thinking about uh, the, so, the solutions and and thinking about products. Uh, and there is a lot to say a uh, lot to say about just doing something to figure out all the all the checklist items that need to be checked off before you can say that okay things are now ready to go. Uh, it's not just solving and, and building the best perception path planning algorithm in the world. It's it's how it all comes together and when in the in the hands of the customer. Right. No, it's it's definitely a hugely uh, a challenging problem uh, that's being trying to solve. It, a lot of times it goes uh, it underestimated uh, the kind of technical pros that's needed to solve such small problems as mm -hmm. and, you know identifying objects. We take it for granted, like yeah, though that's yeah, that's easy. But there's so many underlying pieces that have to work in sync to make it uh, move forward and actually be able to detect objects, right? Um, and when it comes to trucking, it's even more massive because if you think about a truck versus a car sitting on the same highway, there's so yeah. many more multiple degrees of challenges associated with it. Um, and I, and I think the conversation is fascinating and we can dwell deeper into just the technical aspects of it. But I think where I want to shift gear a little bit is around um, about when do you know that things are going well and when you decide it's like, no, it's, it's, it's kind of time to give up. That's actually a good, a good point. I think the, uh, a good question to ask. Uh, in general, well, working on a, in a startup is not going to be easy at all. Uh, uh, the and and in in life, I guess, uh, if uh, uh, anyone has to do something like meaningful, meaningful that no one has done before, um, it would it is going to be difficult. That's why no one has done it before. Uh, that like that by definition, it is going to be difficult, and there are going to be trade offs. Um, that is what we as a society value, uh, we, we value people who do things that in general an, an average person cannot do. Um, that's why we pay, you know, we expect that people who take risks uh, 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 should be rich, <laughs> uh, should, have, should have money, should have respect and all that. Um, uh, but, um, uh, but risk again, it is it, like taking risk is difficult uh, going into uh, the unknown is difficult. Uh, so that will always be there. The only thing is how to know, uh, that you have crossed the threshold of 
like too much uh, too much risk or too much difficulty and all that i think the uh, there is a related um, note from or a quote from uh, uh, jeff bezos the the one of the philosophies that he uh, follows is that you all always should uh, start working on something when you are uh, 70% when you have 70% of the information available about that if you if you um, go into it before that uh, then you are taking too much risk uh, and if you go after or, or if you wait for 90% 100% information then you have waited too too long too late uh, yeah uh, now obviously 70% is just you know ground like a, a number to throw away but the, the main, main point is that uh you uh, that's like there is this balance between how much information you should wait for how much de-risk uh, things uh, de-risking you should do versus not uh and and the, the it's it's the same thing here if if things go too far uh into the risk territory then then it is it it would be time to call uh, call it off uh, one thing that i have realized at least from myself and and every, everyone will have slightly different variations for this but one thing that i've realized is if i am um sure about about the uh, the work that i'm doing if i'm sure about the value proposition um then then the only thing that need, that needs qualifying in my head is is that me and my team are are ready to do this are are ready to fight for this if the team cannot uh cannot stand in a in a united front then it becomes like that would be the the last thing be beyond beyond that all the all the challenges can be undertaken uh you you have more objective understanding of when to call it off when to not call it off uh based on your personal standing versus not um, and there these are all objective decisions um uh because you know more or less know your financial uh standing uh how much money you are going to expect in the next few months to years um uh, and and based on that you can just objectively say that yes this is something that i i would be able to do versus not and if you are able to do the, do that based on those objective um uh, answers uh then the only thing is your is are you and your team ready to fight it out uh and and based based on your belief that this is something that that needs to exist that is the only thing that that matters uh, at the end of the day right now I, i think you're absolutely spot on right especially in the early stage it has to you have to make sure that everyone's on the same page and driving towards the same vision and the goal uh whether it be the founder or the early um early employees that that you end up hiring um and i'm guessing with your path the career trajectory this Starsky will not be the end of your startup journey there will be a lot more hopefully yeah <laughs> in the future so what would you say would be the key takeaways like similar to what you did after your first startup what were the key takeaways that you would want to uh embed in your uh next endeavors um yeah i think the the, the main um uh, uh thing that came out of this is this body of experience is uh uh is just this framework of how um how to prioritize decision making um b- building anything new building anything transformative is going to be difficult uh so there will be difficult decisions there will be difficult steps that need to be taken both financially emotionally uh, and and every so way uh the most difficult thing about uh about building these things is, uh, are not and not just the emotional stress that you go through uh, but also the 
the difficult decisions that you have to make um, and uh, like from from day to day basis and one of the things that came just one of the frameworks that i thought of at least i came up with uh, to figure out how to make sure that i am at least moving in the right direction is one of the biggest takeaways here and we, we, the, the main uh, aspects of that framework is that there are four main stakeholders when you are working on a, in a startup uh, the, you have your customers um, uh, obviously you have your employees uh, your team members you have the regulators uh, and then you have investors all these uh, uh, stakeholders are important all at the same time if you lose sight of even one of them your startup will fail uh, it, it might not be immediate but it is going to fail uh, so ev- the, the the main work for a founder or the ceo or one of the or the people in the management is to make sure that the that all the strategic decisions all the all the things that we are uh, they are trying to do balances all of their core incentives um and and the the more uh, the bigger the company becomes the more impact the more uh, uh, uh valuable the company becomes uh, the more divergent each of their uh, core incentives become becomes so um it, that there are uh, there are situation even in our starsky's case uh, the the thing that uh, uh the customer wants we actually were spot on we knew what the customer want, want wanted we were delivering that but that that was not something that the investor wanted so uh, so the, the the art was to make sure that we had a way to balance out what the customer wants while also balancing what the investor want, wanted and while also balancing what the regulator wanted and and the uh, and our employees wanted uh so uh, so that is one of the one of the additional learnings from this particular endeavor that that that's fascinating so the four horsemen of the startup success <laughs> yes yes so i think I, i think i had a like really amazing conversation we touched on a lot of great areas uh so before we wind down i one question i do want to ask is what is one of the startup that you look up to or admire within the space within within the uh, driverless space or otherwise uh, and why uh i don't think there is any particular startup um i mean in general i think i i i look up to um how you know tesla and spacex uh, uh, do things um uh because there are a lot of parallels um uh, they are also upending a, a, an incumbent uh, industry uh, they have to take a lot of novel decisions all like all across the board um not just in in building the technology building the 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 vehicle uh but also in hiring in in marketing and how do they even have or how do they have their how do they work their public relations done so uh uh and and like the, the reason why i admire that a lot is is because all of those decisions are actually uh derived from from a focus on product like at the end of the day they have to ship a product what are the things that need uh, you can actually draw a line between uh between shipping a product to everything that they do um which also means that they don't 
waste any any resource anywhere. Um, there is minimum waste for that. Uh, they don't do anything just for the sake of it. Right. Karthik, thank you so much again for your time. Um, for, of course. For our listeners uh, who tune in, where can they contact you to learn a bit more about what Startkey was or just to keep a pulse on what you might be doing next? Um, I think LinkedIn is the you know, a really good contact point for me. I think I, I am fairly uh, quick in responding back. Uh, so LinkedIn would be the best. Perfect. All right. I'll have that in the description uh, for the podcast. And thanks again, Karthik. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great chatting with you. So guys, that was Karthik Tavari with some great insights and learnings for anyone who is trying not only to start a business in the driverless vehicle vertical, but starting a business in general. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. You will hear from me next week with another crazy venture story. Until then, namaste.